Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Fellows, welcome back to Man Challenge, here with Sam Reeder and Chris Burke again from the block. We hate that it is empty, but practicing some social distancing, Mm. helping us gather digitally. We want to continue to reiterate the value of being with the Lord individually in this time, which is why we're we're studying the Psalms, helping you interact with Him as they are the the prayer book of the Bible, as Mm. we're learning to read God's Word and pray it to Him all in in one collection of, of songs in the Old Testament, um, but also wanting to push you guys in discussion to teaching or to um, breaking it down with your men uh, over digital platforms, Zoom, Google Hangouts, whatever. Today we're in Psalm 23, mm. a very, very famous psalm. Um, even if you're kind of outside the church, you maybe have heard this read at a funeral uh, or, or, or in somebody's closing chapters of life. But today we're going to read that. Before we do, I think it's helpful to know this is a, a psalm of confidence. Mm. So we're going to talk a lot about peace about um, some of the steadfastness we mentioned last week. Uh, but what we need to know is that the chapter prior to this, the Psalms are, are organized in a particular manner. Hmm. The chapter prior to this is also a Psalm of David, as today's is, and it's a Psalm of lament. Hmm. So it is, it's a Psalm of, um, of sadness, of, of despondency, of depression even. David is just calling out to the Lord. Um, but it's really, really fascinating to see that the next psalm turn the table and David is, is moved into a, uh, at least moving himself into some realm of peace, mm. of joy, of hope. So um, we're going to jump in. Sam, would you, yep. would you read Psalm 23 and then sure. pray for us? Yep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Father, as we dive into your word, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would know you and see you more clearly in it, through it, by it. Uh, And then would you, by your spirit and with your word, uh, mold us to be more like your son, Jesus. Mm. We ask that in his name. Amen. 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 So again, we're going to just walk through verse by verse what, what this psalm says, why it says it, and how we can learn to interact with the Lord mm. through it. Verse 1 is, is infamous. Um, it's beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing or I shall not want. Some translations say I have all that I need. Sam, first things you see, what do you got? Mm. My. The Lord is my mm. shepherd. Yeah. That's something devotionally I think I, I 
I find myself sitting in, that he's not just the Lord is the shepherd or a shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. And devotionally, that's something I, I just, it can be encouraging. Uh, you said it's a psalm of confidence. Yeah. It, it can evoke feelings of confidence. But I, I do have to wonder, and this is something, I guess, in terms of helping us how we read the psalms. David is the author, we've been told, right? And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Is it fair to read ourselves into the text and to say, well, the same thing applies for me? Or are we just getting a, a window into that blessed man that we read about in Psalm 1? Is that this guy? And so we just get to see what it looks like? Or is that an invitation for us to pray it to? Or You know what I'm saying? That's a good question. Are, yeah. you, here's a, are you thinking all the Bible? Are you thinking this Psalm, both? I think it'd be helpful to discuss both at some point, but I, specifically for this sure. and reading the Psalms. If, if it's poetry, if they're songs, how we read and apply that to us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll talk big picture first. Sure. The, the Bible in general, we can be tempted to read ourselves into it in places that maybe we shouldn't. For mm. instance, the story of David and Goliath, especially in men's ministry, tends to be a rah-rah. Mm. David, I'm David, man. I can, any enemy, as long as I trust God, I can conquer. There's nothing too big. We put it into all of our sports. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the underdog, the Cinderella. <laughs> sure. But the reality of that text is, is that a man chosen by God goes on behalf of God's people before the enemies of God's people, mm. defeats the enemy and delivers God's people into safety, security, and salvation. Mm. Does that sound like Mason or does that sound like Jesus? <laughs> That's a lot more like word. Jesus. And mm. so it is, it is uh, maybe unwise at times to essentially assume I can put myself anywhere in the Bible. It takes a lot of work. So I would say carefully throughout scripture, we ought to be considering uh, the Bible is first and foremost about God and his people, but it's him first. He's revealing himself mm -hmm. to us there. And so we That's ought to word. learn who he is first here as we pray the Psalms together, as we read these prayers, these songs um, to God, as we pray them to him, we can absolutely with confidence look at uh, my shepherd. Mm. Uh, and what's mm. beautiful about this is it is a guide to how to interact with him. Um, and actually I wanna take a little bit to talk about the shepherd piece mm -hmm. there because yeah. it's the overarching statement that really fills out this psalm. The first four verses are exploring this metaphor as, as the Lord as shepherd. Um, and what David didn't know when he was writing this, but what God so wisely orchestrated in all of scripture is that this, um, this means a little bit more to us as Christians. Mm. So the Old Testament, the shepherd was a term that David knew really well. Mm -hmm. he, he was a shepherd yeah. before mm -hmm. he was anointed king, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was often used to talk about the the leaders of Israel, uh, typically when they were doing a bad job, Ezekiel 34, God says, y'all are bad shepherds. I'm going to be a good one. Mm. And, and then he makes this promise at the end of Ezekiel 34. Mm. He says, I'm going to raise up one shepherd. Mm. He's going to rescue you. He's going to come after you. He's going to save you. He's mm. going to keep you. And there's going to be one shepherd and one flock. And what Jesus says in John 10, that really helps us, um, understand the way we're praying this as believers in Christ. Starting in verse 14, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is fulfilling that promise made in Ezekiel. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So we get to see the fulfillment as Christians of what David's praying here of the God's shepherding that we're going to explore, Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. Mm. And what he means in that is, he says it really clearly, I laid down my life for you. I, you, Mason, Chris, Sam, you had, um, you had <clears throat> pursued death. You had turned your back in sin and ran from me. Uh, and a, and a, an atonement had to be paid. A price had to be paid. And I laid down my life that I might be your shepherd. Mm. And so when we are mm. praying this, very long-winded answer, I love it. But when we're praying this, we get to pray um, to our father, our shepherd, but also to Jesus, the good shepherd Mm -hmm. who sent us the counselor and guide the Holy Spirit as a shepherd on our day-to-day basis. Does Mm. that make sense? Absolutely. So the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I I shall not want. I lack nothing. Mm -hmm. I have all that I need. And what he's saying is what Paul says in Philippians 4.19 is that all of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. Every, everything we eternally need, mm-hmm. he is paid for in his death and resurrection. Um, but that can be kind of confusing, right? That shall not want versus maybe like, does that lead me to apathy, to right. comfort, to sitting still? What do you think, Bert? Well, I, you know, my translation says I shall not be in want. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think in man challenge in general, uh, we've got a lot of men that are go-getters, man. They want to, mm-hmm. they wake up every morning with that fire in their belly to achieve um, to lead, to build, to change, um, and to accomplish something. And I think there is a, a, a strong difference between being in want and having want to. Mm. And this okay. concept of uh, being in want is the concept of I'm never satisfied, I'm chasing after the wind, I'm uh, trying to please the desires of my flesh. I'm never satisfied with what God has put in front of me or who God has put in front of me. And I'm constantly in a, in a state of discontent because I have not accepted the good shepherd's place in my life to fill that void. Hmm. Do not confuse that. And this is why we always should look at the full measure of scripture. Do not yeah. confuse that for apathy or lack of drive and do not confuse your desire to achieve as sinful. Hmm. So the difference between being in want, what we just discussed, and having great want to is, God, how do I use my gifts Hmm. that you've blessed me with uniquely for your glory and the good of others? And that should be a driving force in my life. And when it is, man, go conquer that mountain, go climb that hill, go lead that charge. Um, and there's power in that. And yeah. again, the full measure of scripture, uh, Colossians 3.23, just a beautiful thing. Whatever you do, man, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for man. Like that, okay, are those in contradiction to each other or do they vibe together? And the truth is they vibe together, man. Don't be in a place of discontentment in your heart or with where you currently are at, but whatever God has you in, huh. man, go at it. And, and we look at the parable of the talents. There are other scriptures mm. you can point to. God has called you to use your gifts well and with a sense of urgency. 
but he does not want you to be in want as far as longing for things that the world says are important that you may not currently have. And I hope that's a clear distinction and that's one that really yeah. marks your life. Well, and I think even, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the, my cup overflows section, mm-hmm. but the delineating, the satisfaction and contentment mm. that comes in Christ should be a calling, mm. a motivating factor, not a, a reason to... Kick your feet up. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Mm. Uh, so, so then David starts to explore the metaphor in verse two. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. In verse three, he guides me along the paths or the right paths for his name's sake. So David's fleshing this out a little bit. Remember, this is poetry. Mm. And so he's using a metaphor here, helping us understand. What do you see? We, we ask when we come to God's word, what is this telling me about mm. God? Yeah. What's that metaphor showing us about God, Sam? So we saw in uh, Psalm 1, the parallelism, right, is what you talked about, yep. that essentially the, the, the biblical author, what they would do here is they would give you an idea and then they would, through repetition, mm-hmm. reinforce that idea, mm-hmm. but also with variation. So you could mm-hmm. get a more holistic mm-hmm. view of what they're trying to say. <laughs> so we've, we've been told he's the shepherd, but he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep relatively are dumb animals. They, they need to be guided if they're taken to a muddy water hole or a clean stream, mm. to a, a barren desert or to a green pasture. Mm. The good shepherd leads us where we need to go. A sheep just needs to be a sheep. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So that word can, can hang us up a little bit because then we think righteousness, mm-hmm. holiness, piety, mm-hmm. something like that. But essentially that word is really just talking about rightness the right path, mm-hmm. a good path, mm-hmm. a good direction, a good way for his namesake. Mm-hmm. I love that, that if he is the good shepherd, mm-hmm. then what he's going to do is reinforce that he's the good mm-hmm. shepherd. So he does these things because that is who he is. It's for his own glory. It's for his own name. And we get to be the benefactors to, to enjoy that, yeah. to, to be led by a good shepherd to still waters, to green pastures, that satisfaction and contentment you all were just talking about. That's what he does when we are like that tree Mm. from Psalm 1 who's rooted in that. But we are called to be a sheep Mm. and let the shepherd be the shepherd. And and can I just say that, you know, that can be a little flowery for a lot of dudes. Like, man, I ain't laid in any green pastures anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not really connected. Let me just say that to me, the modern day embodiment of what David is speaking to here, obviously, like you said, he's using these, these illustrations that are, that are really captivating when mm. you meditate on them. But I would just say personal experience, the men I know who know the Lord with the most depth are, are, have an undeniable peace about them mm. that you could really draw a parallel with this language. Yeah. There is, that doesn't mean they're not in the fire, man. That doesn't yeah. mean that they're not putting out fires, dealing with conflict, understand the, the ugliness of sin and the depths of destruction that the, that the enemy is, is uh, doing on a daily basis. But there is a, a sense to a man mm. who is being shepherded by the Lord, a way that he speaks, uh, a, a tone in which he uses a, an ability to handle conflict that is so noticeable yeah. that it, it gives peace. It, 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 he push, he uh, pushes off a, a sense of peace around him. And uh, to me, that's kind of the embodiment of yeah. what David's saying here is mm. that not that 
he wants you to go lay in a green pasture all day long. But yeah. through the trials of life, when you are allowing God to refresh your soul, hmm. you can have peace in those storms. That's, that's what Mason alluded to, Philippians 4. I mm. mean, Paul in chains mm. on death row waiting to see if you're going to get lethal injection or whatever it was at the time. And he's saying rejoice. Mm. I'll say it again. Brothers, rejoice. I'll say yeah. it again. Yeah, rejoice. Mm-hmm. I'm in shackles and... You can't stop the gospel. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. Yeah. Like yep. you can't even comprehend no. it. That's I think to bridge the gap between Psalms to mm-hmm. modern day Paul yeah. right there in first century. And it's it's all trickling out of the provision of God. Mm-hmm. That first verse, I lack nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not in want. To your point, I'm content. I'm satisfied. I have what I need, and therefore I am, I am overflowing with that peace. I'm mm. exuding the reality of my situation. I'm believing that God is who he says he is. And from that, I, I get to experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Mm. Uh, verse four, mm. you, you sort of hinted at it there a little bit, Berg. Verse four shifts in tone, same metaphor, still being guided by the shepherd uh, on right paths, but even though I walk through the darkest valley, mm. or the ESV says through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to pause up at that, that first uh, part of that. Walk through the darkest valley, through the valley of the shadow of death. I know, I know for me, I've probably heard this psalm more than any other mm-hmm. over the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think, rightly estimate nine out of 10 times has been at a funeral or a visitation. Somebody said it. Mm. Uh, and I just have to wonder, is that, is that what David has in mind here? Is that where he pictured this being read and sung was at the end of a life? Is that what he has mm. in mind that verse four, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I think that's the phrase that catches us that people think, oh, well, that goes at a funeral. Uh-huh. Uh, but this isn't at the end of his life no. when he's talking about this good shepherd. Can you, can you maybe redeem this back from being cornered into just being used at a funeral to more of our daily yeah. devotion, prayer, meditation? And I think what's noteworthy is it's definitely applicable there hmm. in that season. And what's beautiful about the good shepherd mindset is there's only one person, one guide, one shepherd who can walk through death with you. Hmm. That's it. At that point, Burke That's and it. Sam are That's tailing it. off. Yeah. You can't Good come word. with me. Yeah. But one shepherd will guide me through mm-hmm. that. Mm. But what we can apply this to is um, much, much broader. Mm. It is the darkness, uh, whether it is circumstantial despair, whether it is situational hopelessness. I, I know uh, I've felt to have been in this spot in the darkest valley. Mm. You can think of that circumstance, whether uh, it has happened or maybe uh, it might. And boy, it, in this season, the risk of losing family, finances, normalcy, the, all of these things that we have so tightly clenched and pretended to depend on are uh, chaff from mm. last week. They mm. are right at risk of going, gone. Mm. And so that, that darkness, that darkest valley is the place where you can't see a way out. And what's mm. interesting is, is we're being guided by our shepherd mm. on right paths, and yet we found ourselves here. Mm. He, and what's beautiful, I talk a little bit about me for a second. I have wrestled uh, in my faith a lot with anxiety. And I remember sitting on a couch with Susan, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, and thinking, this is, this is so dark. Uh, I'm so discouraged. I don't see a way out. Mm. 
And that is right where David is sitting. Hmm. I'm, I'm in the darkest spot. I don't see, I'm in the valley. I don't see the rim of the hmm. mountain. It's so dark down here. Hmm. And why would a good shepherd bring me here? Why would, why would that happen? I, I, as I read through this, you know, forgive my, my coachy talk, but anybody that's ever coached youth sports knows it is good for your kids to experience adversity. That is, mm. that is good for them. Mm. I coach a fourth grade basketball team that's got some pretty good players. You know what I do? What's your record real quick? It, it was good. We play sixth grade teams. We play fifth grade. Like they need to get their butts kicked. Yeah. That is good for them. Is it always pretty while it's going on? Does coach look like it's good for him while it's going on and he's pulling his hair out? No, but I, tell, I always try to encourage them afterwards. I brought you here. I scheduled this game. It is for your good. That dude who's two and a half times your size that's pushing you around, you need to go up against him. You need to see your frailty. Mm. And you need to rest in the fact that I know that that's good for you. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's a very practical, surfacey, shallow example, yeah. but God is a good shepherd. And we as parents, we know, we know things that are good for them above their ability to understand them. And like you said, I just think it's powerful. Like God has, the good shepherd has led us here. Yeah. And David gives us, you know, the ability to see that through the perspective of walking through that. Yeah. I and think, he, I think you can carry that right into the rest of verse four, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, take your metaphor right on yeah. into it. He talks about his, his rod and staff mm-hmm. comfort him. Talk a little bit about that, Coach Burke. Well, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm just going to make a plug for a study Bible because I just, I'm going to read the note in, in my margin from the study Bible because it's just so encouraging to me. Um, just a, a practical use of the rod and the staff for a shepherd. The shepherd used his staff to guide the sheep, directing them and setting boundaries for them. So the, the staff was to direct them and set boundaries for them. He used the rod as a weapon of discipline and protection. And he guided them to safe places by fighting off the enemies and making sure they went where they were supposed to go. And I think to myself, maybe the biggest deterrent for men coming to a saving faith to Jesus as their Lord, hmm. a lot of guys like saviors, but they're, they're not too much in the Lord's, mm-hmm. is they really don't want a, somebody beating them with a rod and staff. They really don't want somebody setting boundaries for the, they really don't. They're pretty smart. They're pretty capable. They'll figure this deal out on their own. They want to go to heaven, but they're not too crazy about a rod and a staff and a shepherd. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my, my question for the men that are, that are hearing our voices, do you desire a shepherd or, or would you rather go on this deal alone? You know, sometimes in modern American culture, especially, we kind of, ah, oh, the lone wolf, right? Mm. That's a kind of a cool deal. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing better than the rod and the staff of the good shepherd. Mm. And we need it. It is, it is for his glory. It is for our good. And even if it isn't pleasant, and even if it is contrary to the desires of our flesh, uh, David thousands of years ago was agrees with what we can testify to today. It is for our good. Yeah. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. I think the one thing I want to point out before we go into verse five and six is the goodness here in the darkest valley. I don't fear evil. His rod and his staff comforts me because of the presence of God. You are with me. Note, note something about the language here. He was talking about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He does this. Mm-hmm. He leads me. He guides me. We've shifted to mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Now he's, he's, he's gone from talking about God to talking to him. Mm-hmm. And he says, I will fear no evil because you are with mm-hmm. 
I've got, I've got no, and that you're so right. So many men are deterred out of some level of discomfort. They think if I followed a good God, he wouldn't let me experience pain. And what mm. God's saying is I experienced all the pain you could ever imagine for you mm. so that you can be with me. Mm. He points right to the cross and says, there's no pain greater. There's no discomfort greater than what I experienced there. And in your suffering, in your darkest valley, I'm with you. A, a text I have run to a lot. I'll, I'll be very quick. Isaiah 43, God is, is speaking to his people. He says, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your savior. You're precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. That, mm. that is, don't mm. be afraid, he mm. finishes, I am with you. Mm. And so that is the hope amidst any dark circumstance is the presence of the Lord in and through that. And that is where his defense of us, but also his discipline of us is a comfort, he says. So moving on, uh, verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Sam, hmm. new metaphor here. Yeah. We, we're, we're leaving the shepherd metaphor. Hmm. And now we're moving into a, a host. I'm sitting down to dinner with, with the God of the universe. And so there's this great level of intimacy that, that, Lord, uh, that David is exhibiting here that we can experience as we interact with him through his, wear, or through his word and through prayer. But then there's that line, in the presence of enemies. What, what do you think about that? I'll be honest. Th- this happens to me a lot. Maybe you guys experience this a- as you're reading through and studying the Psalms with us. I- I'll read a couple of verses and I'm just jiving with the text. And I'm like, yeah, I've been in some low spots hmm. and I've been in some high spots, some green pastures. He's restored me. I'm jiving with that. And then I hit something like verses five and six. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And I get these imageries that I just don't connect with. Mm. And so I'll, I'll be jiving along like, man, God, this is some good quiet time. And then I hit that and I'm like, oh, like, what do I do with this text? Yeah. I, I don't have like an, an, uh, an army that's marching up the hill of my front door to like come try to conquer my, my castle. That's the imagery I feel like I see here. Or like somebody dumping some, I don't know, I'll, you probably use avocado oil at your house, but like <laughs> olive oil on my head and my cup overflows. I'm like, what, what do I do with imagery like this? So I, I would love to hear if you can kind of help us as we read the Psalms and we hit imagery that we don't, that doesn't land well with us. Like, what do we do? What is an appropriate response as, as men approaching the word of God, seeking to know him, wanting to be sharpened by it? What do we do in those moments like that? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a hard question. I'll admit it. Um, I would say first and foremost is run to the writer. Mm-hmm. Who wrote it? If the Lord wrote it, God, help me understand it. That just, that's bizarre. That doesn't make sense to me. Would you help me understand if you're, if you're inspired at spirit and you live within me, would you help me understand it? Not f- to be knowledgeable, but so that I might better know the Lord. Mm. And then I would say after that. Um, Did you come up with that run to the writer? No. Or, yeah. And just... Sam asked the Holy Spirit. Wow. I wrote it down. Wow. That's good. I like that. I like it too. It's just great stuff. <laughs> I'll write that down in my journal. Uh, but I would say second is, is some form of study. I mm-hmm. think 
we want to experience the realities of, of God's word sometimes without doing the hard work mm. to know Amen. who he is in it. Amen. Sure. And Sam's got a book about the size of my car over mm. there. They don't need to be that big. Mm. There are plenty of resources. Burke's got a study Bible. Mm. Um, this is stuff we want to equip you guys with as a ministry so that your individual time with the Lord can grow. This specific metaphor, mm. to unpack it a little yeah. bit, uh, I mentioned this is a dinner. So in in the presence of my enemies, that's kind of con- uh, insinuating a victory dinner. Hmm. And he's anointing my head with oil, which we don't do a lot today. Um, but essentially oil is a, um, it's a separation. It's a purification. It's a setting aside, making something holy. It's God saying, you're mine. Hmm. I'm, sitting, I'm sitting down at, at dinner with you. We're going to eat. We're going to break bread together. Mm-hmm. You're, you're my sheep, to go back to that, that previous metaphor. And then it says, in light of that, he's got enemies. He's in the darkest valley. My cup overflows. Mm. What do you think a man who's overflowing looks like? Mm. You know, uh, I think of men in my life that I've known that, that overflow in that way. Mm. Um, I'll never forget uh, a conversation I had with Bob Russell, who might be the best embodiment of that that I've ever known. Mm. And I called him because uh, I was frustrated. I was trying to love on and minister to some men, and I felt like there was no growth. And I felt like I was doing a bad job. I felt frustrated with their inability to get it. And, yeah, I laugh when I look back at the conversation. I remember he said to me, he said, Chris, if you desire to be a cup uh, that has God's goodness, that you desire for it to spill out wherever you go, um, when that cup gets dry, what's, there's nothing left to come out. Mm. And he goes, how's, you, how's your time with God been? And I was like, I'm calling you to talk about my knucklehead buddies. Like, why, <laughs> why are you in my business? Like, what, how'd this conversation yeah. get turned about on me? We're, we're talking, calling to talk about these knuckleheads. And he was exactly right. Like, I'd mm. been in the midst of my season where I had so much free time and quiet time was just so easy. I got home, my routine changed. I was, my whole schedule was different. And I had not had my nose in the word. And I was not meeting with the Lord on a daily basis. Because of that, I was dry and it was overflowing and whatever I was trying to give was fruitless. It mm. was in vain. It was because I was not connected to the source. And so what I would say to that answer is a man who's overflowing, whose cup overflows, I'm not going to put a bunch of worldly check marks on it. I yeah. will say that he meets with God and the fruit of that is distinct and noticeable throughout his interactions, throughout his relationships and throughout what he invests, his time, his money and his energy into. Mm. And those men are pretty noticeable when you come across them. And there is usually one distinct factor in all their lives. And that is they meet with the Lord on a consistent, mostly daily basis. That's Mm. good. I mean, it harkens back to Psalm one, that tree planted next to streams of water is bearing fruit. Mm. That's really good. Verse six, moving on says, surely your goodness and love, some, some of your translations will say mercy or loyalty, uh, it will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. Can you break it down real quick for us, Sam? This is one image that did land for me, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and also if you've spent any time studying David, we've done series previously on him at Man Challenge. Yeah. Uh, but he was a, a man known for being a man after God's own heart. Uh, that in, in the story of scripture, uh, to keep it concise, right? Man initially in the first page is with God in his presence in a garden. 
And then that all gets wrecked by sin and rebellion against God's wisdom, his law, what we talked about in Psalm 1. Um, And then the next time God's presence comes in close proximity with his people is kind of where we were a couple weeks ago in Exodus 18, Mm -hmm. 19, uh, where they make covenant with him. There's a tabernacle or a tent. And then if you fast forward further, David is a guy who just longs to build a house for Mm. God. He wants to build this temple. And the short version is God says, actually, I'm going to let your son do it. And your son's going to do that. Mm. But David was a man that when they brought the ark uh, into Jerusalem, man, he danced Mm. like a fool because he just loved to be in the presence of God. And this good shepherd was so good to David that he said, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to make your house live forever. And out of your lineage would come the true anointed one, Jesus. Uh, But David in his heart just longed to be in the presence of God because he knew there was no place better to be than to be like a tree planted beside those waters that we talked about last week. And when he says that goodness and mercy will follow me and I'm going to dwell with you forever, it's just the pinnacle. Mm. It's the goal. That's what his heart longed for, that delight word that we talked about last week. He's there. He's delighting in that, and that's what he longs for. And what's astounding about that is, yes, David wants it. Hmm. That's beautiful. We ought to be that way. I want to, in the darkest valley, I want to fear no evil because he's with me. And at a, at a victory dinner, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. But what's beautiful is that goodness and love, goodness and steadfast love, mercy will follow me. Hmm. God wants it too. That That Hebrew term means pursue. So it's not like following me around. It is, I can't run away from Mm. him. He's after me. His goodness and his love is in pursuit of me. Mm. He is running after me. And that's the beauty of a shepherd is when, when New Testament, Jesus says that he leaves the 99 for the one, Mm -hmm. right? We're looking at a shepherd here who is guiding you on paths that are right, who is taking you to nourishment, to provision, to guidance, to presence with you in in the midst of enemies and despondency. He wants, uh, he wants us to want to experience him, but he so longs to be present with us that he sent his son, Jesus, who dwelled among us. He was present among us. And he, he literally sent his spirit into those of us who believe in Jesus mm. and his death and resurrection. So he, he wants that presence far more than we could ever imagine. And I think what that does for me is that motivates my yearning to exist with him, right? Mm-hmm. So again... Um, we are we are want to prioritize as we as we close today. We want to prioritize not just studying these psalms, but praying them uh, mm-hmm. together with your groups on your own. I'd encourage you guys to be doing this. But uh, we'll wrap up today and with with praying Psalm twenty three, and then talk through today's discussion questions. Mm-hmm. Burke, will you pray yeah. Psalm twenty three for I'd us? Love to. Father God, um, man, we just praise you. Um, that you that you are our shepherd, that you want to be our shepherd, that we have the uh, ability to connect with you as our shepherd through Jesus. And so God, I pray that the knowledge of that would keep us from a heart of discontent, a heart from longing for the things of this world, but yet that we would rest in knowing that you um, are all that we need. And uh, there is no hope uh, apart from you. And so I praise you for that, God. I praise you for the peace that only you offer, the, the green pastures, the quiet waters, the fact that you and you alone can restore our soul. God, I mm-hmm. praise you for that. Uh, and I pray that the fruit of that would make your name known, God, mm-hmm. that people would know that we are yours, um, 
that it would be for your name's sake that we do anything that bears good fruit. God, we, we thank you that you're with us in, in the dark times, the scary times, the, un, the, the unknown times. And God, I pray you give us the strength to walk through that, knowing that your rod and your staff are there for us um, and will protect us, God, and comfort us. We praise you for the fact that, that you, you anoint our heads with oil and that through you our cups can overflow unto others. And God, we long to, to dwell in your house forever and we long to uh, bring others with us, God. So uh, help us do that. Um, help us point people to you. Help us to love well in such a way that your name gets the glory. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, quickly, fellas, let me run through the discussion questions as you guys go to talk about this at your groups. First question is, what part of God's shepherding do you most want to experience? We talk about his guidance, his care, his provision, his presence. Um, What's something that you want to experience and know in the Lord, specifically in this season? Second is, tell of a time when you found yourself in in the darkest valley, the presence of enemies, and then how God... Uh, showed you his presence in light of that. It might have been a friend's prayer. It might have been him speaking to you clearly through his word. Um, talk about that. And finally, we, we see the cup of overflowing with blessing and joy uh, in David's terms here. But Jesus drank the cup of judgment. He, he took, we talked about the wrath of God this semester. He drank the cup of wrath so that our cup of salvation and blessing would overflow. Um, do you think you're a man who people see as overflowing? Mm. Why or why not? And what steps are you going to take um, to, to pursue being one who overflows like Burke mentioned earlier? Love you, men. Uh, we'd love to hear back from you guys. Yeah. Re- reply to the email. Uh, reach out to Ronnie and I. We, we'd love to interact as much as we can in this. Text us and we'll bring that stuff up as we teach through this. Um, grateful for you fellas and miss you. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.